for tuning in to the 251st episode of Barbershop Sports Talk with me, your host, Daryl D. Lane. As always, I want to thank you all for tuning in, whether it be via Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, or whichever podcasting app or platform you are listening to me via. Being recorded from Buffalo, New York, going to have a loaded show today, going to have Chris Milholland in the first part of the podcast. He is uh, He covers the Brooklyn Nets. For the Nets Daily, we dive into a lot of interesting Brooklyn Nets stuff. We talk about James Harden, Kyrie, Kevin Durant, those three specifically kind of merging together in Brooklyn, right, in New York. We also talk about the trade, Houston, all the picks they gave up, all the picks Brooklyn gave, excuse me, all the picks Brooklyn gave to Houston to make this James Harden deal work. Uh, and we talk a little bit at the end as well about potential a potential finals matchup with LeBron James versus KD, Nets versus Lakers, Coast versus Coast. Also get into Kyrie, kind of what's been going on there. So we get into a lot of good stuff uh, with uh, Chris Milholland, who covers the Brooklyn Nets for the Nets Daily. And in the second half of the podcast, I have my good friend, my brother, Silas Garrison on the show. Me and Silas talk a little bit of NFL, and we also dive into Silas's NBA predictions, his NBA guarantees. And I found those very interesting. Now, right now, what I want to do is, as always, I want to stop you. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, I'm going to ask you to follow and subscribe on whichever podcasting platform you are listening to me right now. Also, share the podcast with your friends and family via word of mouth and social media. Post it on Reddit. Post it on Facebook groups, all your social media, all your text chains. Hell, do, do an email blast to people uh, if you know they like content about the NFL, the NBA, and college football, because this is definitely the place for them. And also leave a five-star review on iTunes and Apple Podcasts. And for some odd reason, if you don't like my podcast, it's like, how the hell could that happen? Then take a page from what your mama told you. If you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it at all. All. Also, subscribe to my YouTube channel. Type in Daryl Lane. I post clips from this podcast onto the YouTube channel. I also have my syndicate podcast, Outside the Shop, that I post on there daily as well. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, where I post about my podcast, I talk about sports as well. You can follow me at NightTrain underscore Lane. I'll say it again, at NightTrain underscore Lane. So without ado, kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to get to Chris Milholland. Come up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. This is a public service announcement sponsored by Just Blaze and the good folks at Rockefeller Records. Fellow Americans, it is with the utmost pride and sincerity that I present this recording as a living testament and recollection of history in the making during our generation. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have a very special guest with us, Chris Milholland. He covers the Brooklyn Nets for the Nets Daily. Chris, how you doing? I'm doing good. How about yourself? I'm doing great. So, first, what I have to ask you is this. So, we talked probably about three months ago before the NBA season, probably... I think maybe a couple weeks before the NBA season actually started was when all this Harden stuff was kind of going through the news cycle, uh, and it didn't happen right away. Now we're here. 
we're in about to a month to the season, right? We've had like 10, 15 games, and the season's here, and Harden is now in a Nets jersey. Just talk about from where we start in the beginning of the year, even kind of when we start hearing rumblings when Westbrook and Harden kind of wanted out till where we are now. How how is that all materialized for you just watching this? Um, well, you know, it's it, the NBA is a business of putting the best players on a team that mesh properly and the, with the end goal of winning championship or championships, right? So um, with the Nets, this shouldn't be a surprise move to really anyone, especially I know it could possibly be a surprise to um, to outside Nets fans or people that aren't really accustomed to watching this team on the daily or watch this as a kind of any other team around the league type of point of view. But, you know, at the end of the day, it was a deal that had to get done. It's a deal that the Nets had to do, right? So, obviously, they had to give up two of their cornerstone players in Jared Allen and Karis LeVert uh, to make the deal happen, along with Torian Prince, Rodians Karuks, and a very big handful I'll Obviously, you know, seven first-round picks speak for themselves, including pick swaps. So the Nets in seven years in the NBA is a very long time. So um, especially when you got draft picks and, and highly consider as well in the next couple of years to add value to those picks. Uh, high school players are going to be able to get into the NBA without going the college route. They're going to eliminate the, the one-year, one-and-done rule and kind of have high school players going to the NBA as well. So that's why a lot of teams you'll see in probably within the next year or two that really start to harvest a lot of picks. You see Sam Presti at Oklahoma City Thunder doing it, which he has done a phenomenal job of. He's mostly been the genius behind draft picks. But uh, but to get back into the Harden, it's a trade that had to get done, right? So this makes the latest big three with Harden, Durant, and Irving. Um, everyone I know everyone has a lot of questions about how this will fit once Irving gets back, which he returned to the Nets today, which is Tuesday. So um, he, he returned to the Nets. He talked about his personal absence. Um, he, he mostly laid it all out. He's very excited to have James Harden on board. Now, to give you guys some context about the insides of this trade, um, I know there's been a lot of um, talks about, did, well, did Kyrie uh, approve this? You know, James Harden has shown that he could facilitate he passed the ball and really brought out his point guard ability um, as an all-around player, aside from what we're used to of him leading the league the past three years in scoring. Well, Irving and Durant, as Sean Marks noted, and both of them noted as well, um, they once the deal was really getting sped up within the latest 48 hours of when the trade happened, so the day before and the, the day of the trade happened, um, Sean Marks and the owners, uh, Joe Sy, had a conversation with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving about acquiring James, and they were both on board for it. And obviously, you know, it's a player empowerment league. Uh, superstars have a bigger voice than ever. So if that trade of this magnitude were to go down, you would only imagine that the, the ter- current, well, back then, the two stars on this team needed to have a strong say in the situation, which they did, and they approved it. So looking ahead, you know, it's going to be one of those things that's Will we see James Harden at the point? Will Irving move to the two? Because Kevin Durant did say that James Harden's natural position is a point guard. And we've seen the two games that Harden has played at the Nets, not only has his scoring easily transferred over, which uh, fills that void of that uh, Karis LeVert left behind, uh, who is now in Indiana dealing with some personal issues on his end. But um, 
it's going to be interesting to see how they all come together, how they play, how they mesh. But um, I think it's, like I said, it was a trade that had to be made. Um, initially, when I saw the details of the trade, I wasn't necessarily a fan of it because um, I've, I've been there and the Nets have been there with the first round pick swaps, obviously in 2012, the Celtics, you know, and that obviously did not go in their favor. So it's apparent that the Houston Rockets are banking on the Nets to have a collapse, uh, more so in the later half of those seven years. So maybe fifth year and over, because you got to remember that James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, they are all signed on deals that are set to expire in the next couple of years. So Harden is a free agent in 2023. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving are obviously in the second year of their respective max contracts. So it's going to be a waiting game, but you know at the same time it's one of those. It's going to go down as one of those deals that both teams have to make, and both teams are going to have some little regrets over, right? So if you look at the Nets side of things, the Nets they got their James, you got James Harden, they made a big three, and they really put themselves into winning a championship. At the same time, their negative point of view is well, they had to give up Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, who were two cornerstone players that were viewed across the whole Nets organization, two players as well that really put the Nets in the situation where they are today, right? So the other players you could throw in there, or the other player, people and players overall that come into this, well, the Nets wouldn't be sitting in this situation without D'Angelo Russell, Kenny Atkinson, Sean Marsh, Jared Allen, and Terrence LeVert. Those are really the five guys that really made the Nets where they are today. And then you look on Houston's side, obviously, you know, they traded away James Harden. They traded away the league's, if arguably, the league's best scorer. And a superstar that they really hope they really grew, right? He came over as a a star with very high potential from Oklahoma City when they traded for him. Uh, they tried multiple ways to experiment and give uh, Harden his stars, such as you look down the list. Dwight Howard, good thing back to Dwight Howard, was recent as Westbrook, right? So the the Rockets did everything they really could to put Harden in the best situation to win, and. Um, he just could not get it done in in uh, in a Houston Rockets uniform. So when Harden was talking recently, he mostly said, "Hey, I'm as focused as they come. I'm determined. Um, I know what I want." And he's so far he's been able to accept that sacrifice of scoring the ball at a high clip and more of a facilitating role. So it's going to go down as one of those teams that one of those trades that fit both sides, but both sides still have a little bit of regret to them, you know. Now, what I do want to ask you is this. When we mention all these pick swaps, and you so eloquently mentioned, right, in 2012 when the whole Pierce-Garnett thing went down, right, and they tried to build a super team in Brooklyn, you know, those picks ended up becoming for the Celtics, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. I think one of those picks also ended up being the Colin Sexton pick that the Celtics used to actually get Kyrie. So, you know, it did not work out for the Nets. So, for me, for this. Let's say five years from now, is this team going to be together? Like, how many championships are they going to win? I think that all becomes, is it worth it? So how do you see this going? Because I'd have to imagine towards the back end, like, the Rockets are probably going to be winning this thing. But do you think it's going to all be worth it in the front end? Because I think if you look at Toronto, right, you know, they're fine with everything they did because they got that one championship with Kawhi. So how do you think they balance all that? Well, like, well, you hit it right there, right? The Nets are the Nets are in it to win it all right now. They they cemented themselves as a win now team. They really went to the bank and said, "Hey, we want to win a championship now," and that's what they did. So, as it stands right now, the Nets still have three roster spots, and you know, I don't expect them to even rush filling those three roster spots in the next couple of days, next couple of weeks. 
it's going to come down to, okay, who's available on the buyout market, you know? So it's going to be interesting. Obviously, you see the Nets now. They have a void at center. They really got DeAndre Jordan and their rookie and Reggie Perry as the ones really holding down the center spots, you know? So, you know, the Nets are one of those teams that are going to be playing positionless basketball, spreading the floor. They're, they're arguably, you know, like you could say, the Warriors were the first shooting primarily team, the three-point shooting team to win a championship, and the Nets could be the first really ISO team that could win a championship based on their play styles. But, like, getting back to your question on the long view of this trade, like I said before, the, the Rockets are banking on the Nets to really have a collapse or for the Stars to leave or whatever the case is in the later half of their years. Because you got to look, seven years, right? So, obviously, it's, it's apparent that none of the superstars are going to be moving anywhere for the Nets until their contracts are up. And that still leaves a possibility of whether they're going to resign or not. We won't know that until what is on their resume in a Nets uniform up until that point. Do they win a championship this year? Do they do it again next year? Or do they split a championship one of the two years? Or do they come out empty-handed, you know? So they made quite a big statement win against the Bucks yesterday without Kyrie Irving and without Spencer Dinwiddie, which a lot of people realize that, hey, these are shorthanded Nets, considering that there are no Spencer Dinwiddie for the remainder of this year. And you got... A very you most of your bench from Nick Claxton, who's still who's going to be returning probably mid February towards the uh, mid All Star break, which is March fifth to the tenth, and then you just look all around. But the thing is with this Nets team is that they this was a trade that they need to make. They 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 did the rebuild. They've done it all organically, like we talked about a little earlier, right? With D'Angelo Russell working all the way up to getting the two fish and Kevin Durant, DeAndre Jordan, and Kyrie Irving, right? And then now they add James Harden, which is their final piece to a championship team. But at the same time, they are going to need some help. They are going to need a little bit of help in the in their bigs, right? So it'll be interesting to see who they, who they bring on. But there's a difference because I was one of those guys in the beginning when I saw the seven first-round picks, and I was like, oh, God, here we go again. It's 2012. But you got to also realize – that the Nets are trading for a superstar in its in their prime, in James Harden. They're not trading for a two players that are kind of washed up, and Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce who are past their primes, past their best in play of their their careers. And you know, like you said, like if you if you want to go dive down into context a little more, Paul Pierce showed up the camp out of shape, and Kevin Garnett was just really not, not Kevin Garnett. He was still consistent. Don't get me wrong with scoring and rebounding. But, you know, age, father time catches up on you when you're an NBA player and you're in your mid-30s, you know? Obviously, LeBron is a big exemption to that. But one out of every five players, you know, father time's going to hit it pretty good, especially if you're a superstar. It happens. So, as like I said, this, this trade, it's going to go down as one of those things that the Nets brought in to win it all. It's going to be interesting to see how many or how or do they win one or how many do they win. And are they going to go as far as being a dynasty? You know, when it comes to winning, obviously, they're the league's latest big three. And they have a lot of work to do to get to a championship point, especially on the defensive end of the ball. Obviously, you know, the offensive fire, the power of this team speaks for itself. And we're going to see how it goes on. As for Houston, it's a rebuild for them. So they have seven first-round picks. They're sitting comfy. They could trade them. They could draft players with that. They have leverage moving forward in the future, while the Nets are now in a win-now mode with championship expectations, high championship expectations on their mind. So with the Nets now having James Harden, Kevin Durant, Kyrie, we, we've seen how spectacular on offense they can be with just 
KD and Harden. Like, would you agree with this? KD, Harden, and Kyrie, those are three of the top five offensive players in the league? Oh, uh, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. I would, obviously, I would need to go down the list. You, you added Bradley Beal, who's leading the league in scoring this year. And you got other players, you know, like Devin Booker. You got a couple other guys across the league that have big stints. Kawhi Leonard, LeBron, AD, right? But as it stands right now, this is the best offensive trio in the league currently. Yeah, I mean, by you, a long shot. Yeah, you could argue Kyrie's their third best offensive player, and Kyrie is spectacular. <laughs> <laughs> he's, box he's, bo- he's box office, you know. So that he's he's one of those guys that you know is is he's a very underrated three point shooter. His three point shooting has has vastly improved throughout his career, um, and he's one of those guys that you know that if he steps on the court, he could give you a double double, or he could even go as far as you know this season. He's shown that he could even rebound the ball. He's gotten plenty of games where he's gotten eight or more boards, a couple double doubles with boards. So, that, like you said, you can, having Kyrie Irving as, a, as your third option offensively is a pretty good situation to be in for this next team. So, I do want to know, how do you think this all works out ego-wise? Because I think, obviously, everybody's going to come to Kyrie. There's a lot of talk that they – I've heard people say, like talking heads like Nick and Wright, I've heard people say, you know, they should trade Kyrie. I think I was just reading something online on some message board where they were like, Kyrie for Ben Simmons, and obviously that wouldn't happen. But do, where do you think they are with Kyrie? Like, obviously there was the whole talk. I mean, Kyrie kind of, I guess, disappeared or whatever. He's back in the fold now. Where do you think the Nets are with Kyrie? Do you think this Kyrie thing could end up being an issue? Where do you think it is? Well, I think the Kyrie Irving issues resolved at this point. I think, well, today, right before I hopped on this call, we had the media session with Kyrie, who ended his public uh, his, his personal absence. And he mostly talked about everything. He broke down what the absence was. Obviously, we all knew it was revolved around family and personal issues. Um, He talked about the reports buying George Floyd a house, how he continues to be a powerful voice within the social injustice community. Um, And he really just broke it all down. But the thing is, when you want to look at the big picture of will the work, I think it will work because it's it's the simple fact of these players have all have valuable experience and collective experience that is untouchable compared to other teams in this league. You look, obviously we know the history between James Harden and Kevin Durant, and we've seen it in the past two games. They, they work perfectly together. Harden facilitates and KD is just an automatic bucket. Now when you want to spread it a little more to the Kyrie Irving, James Harden, and uh, Kevin Durant, just look up Team USA highlights from Rio and everything, right? They all played together. Obviously, you know, that's that's not really a good sample size to base it off of because they're going against international competition. They got a super team going. But they worked well together. They all have relationships. But the thing that everyone's undermining is that they all are in that stage of their career where they know what they want and they're not young players anymore. James Harden hit it on the nail last night when he was talking. When him and Kevin Durant were in Oklahoma City, they were kids. They were they were young men. They, they were guys that just got into the league. They were focused on making money, putting up big numbers, making a name for themselves. But these three players don't need to make a name for themselves anymore. We know who they are. If you say Kyrie Irving, you know who Kyrie Irving is. You know James Harden, you know. Like, everything goes along for those three players, right? So, I feel like all these three... They know what's at stake. They know it's their time to bring Brooklyn their first championship in franchise history. And I think it's going to work together. I think I'm going to be excited to see Wednesday. Kyrie Irving is expected to play against the Cavaliers. And obviously, you know, they go up against Jared Allen and Torian Prince So um, for the first time. So I saw Jared Allen probably say it could be a little awkward 
that um, hey, my, my my debut for the Cleveland Cavaliers is against my former team that just traded me. But um, but like like I said before, I think that this whole thing is going to work together because they're at the stage in their careers where they all know what they want and they all acknowledge their roles. So as long as they can follow the sacrifice, I think they'll be fine. Okay. Well, what I hear is what I would push back slightly and to go back to the Kyrie thing. So. Kyrie was in Cleveland at one point in time. They were very good. They went to multiple NBA finals. And I believe at the end, towards the end of their run, he, you know, a reporter asked him a question or whatever about, you know, what his future was like. And he basically said, you know, LeBron, I'm playing with the best player in the NBA. How could I not want to leave that offseason? He requested a trade. You go to Boston. It seems like it was a great situation with Tatum and Brown. I guess, you know, you know, it, it kind of dimmed out at the end. There was... Him kind of saying he would resign when they did whatever that thing was when he had the microphone and he was talking to the fans. And I know all that sometimes can be hoopla and just speak and maybe not saying what you mean because it's kind of like you have to say it at that moment. You can't like say something else. But it would seem, I guess, for to me from the outside looking at the Kyrie is a guy that changes his mind fairly often based off the situation. Do you think that could be an issue at all? Well, this is the, this is how I'll lead it off, right? A lot of people, when you look at the fans as um, the NBA is a business, right? The NBA is a business revolved around entertainment, and fans primarily care, usually 80% of all fans care primarily about what their player does on the court while wearing a uniform, right? But a lot of players, and a lot of, a lot of fans, and everyone else outside of the organization or other, and mostly anyone outside of, who doesn't wear an NBA uniform doesn't acknowledge the fact that these guys are also humans too, right? So, say say in anyone's situation, Kyrie, this is Kyrie Irving's. To get back to your question, this is Kyrie Irving's real since he joined the Nets. That was his real first opportunity to go where he wanted to go. He got drafted by Cleveland. He was in Cleveland. He got traded to Boston. He was he had to be in Boston. But the thing with Kyrie Irving is he's one of those players that really value and he's a hometown kid he's from new jersey he grew up a nets fan when they were new jersey he wasn't like today i was a fanatic so he understands the fans point of view behind it but the thing is with this is he's he's playing for a team that he grew up watching you know if you for any fan that's listening out there just put yourself in those shoes of being playing for your team that you grew up rooting for and watching right you, you grew up, you watched them throughout the years. And obviously in the New Jersey years, you had the Jason Kidd era, which was promising. But every year after that, once Kidd and their, their whole squad really left and Rod Thorne collapsed the team, 12 wins, 20 wins, New Jersey, lottery, you know, the list goes on. It was disappointing years. And when they came to Brooklyn, obviously, you know, from 2012 onward, it only grew from there. But the thing with Kyrie Irving is, it's like I said before. He's playing for a team that he he knows he knows this team. He's been he's been invested in this team since he was a kid. He knows that he knows the whole history, and I can only imagine when he was playing with Cleveland and, and the Celtics too. He was tuning into some Nets games. He acknowledged the history. He saw that like every other player around this league, which a lot of people don't really pay enough attention to, is players around the league know what's happening with other teams in their organization, whether it's the insides or the outsides. So you look at Kyrie Irving, someone that grew up a Nets fan and now is playing for the team. He knows what's at stake. He knows what the fans want to see. They want to see the team win at all. So the thing is with Kyrie Irving, I think that, yeah, you add in a, a guy like James Harden who kind of plays the same position as you, if, especially if he, James Harden is, or Steve Nash says, hey, James, we want you to play the, poor, 
the point guard. Kyrie moved to the two, whatever the case is. But I think on top of that, um, like I said earlier, these play all three of these big three, James Harden, Kevin Durant, and and um, James and James Harden, they all know what's at stake here, and they're all invested. They're at that point in their career. James Harden has not won a championship. Kyrie's won a couple. Kevin Durant's coming back. He's trying to prove his legacy, right? His legacy was torn apart since that he rejoined that he joined Golden State. He joined a 73-1 team. The list goes on, right? So the, the players understand what's at stake here, not for just them and the organization, but the NBA as a whole. So that's why I think it'll work, and that's why I think Kyrie Irving's going to be so locked in when it does come down to Wednesday where he's expected to play. And we're going to see it right away that, wow, these three players can work together and that the rest of the NBA has a, has a lot of trouble uh, with the Nets moving forward. And a lot of teams are going to take notice to that. How good can the Nets be defensively? Like, what do you think their ceiling is defensively? Because I know a lot of people are going to say, you know, James Harden's never been known for defense. Kyrie's never been known for defense. Joe Harris is in the lineup. He's never been known for defense. Well, where do you think the defense comes from? And, and how good well, do you think they can be? Well, the defense is really going to come down to there's obviously a void, like I've said earlier, at the center spot, right? So you have DeAndre Jordan playing 30 minutes, you know, and you got a rookie in Reggie Perry that's just getting his footing in the league. And it's hard. You can only imagine what it's like being a rookie, being thrown into that situation of high stakes. Uh, the most one of the, the Nets are arguably the most hated team in the NBA right now, you know. So being a rookie, you can only imagine what the pressure that's on him. But defensively, you know, James Harden has showed when he wants to play defense, he could be a, a pretty good defender. He's had a lot of steals in his first two games as a net. He's, he's done very well off switches. The Nets really um, have been played, playing good defense overall. They played a little zone last night, um, and they really limited. Like, you saw what they did to Milwaukee. Milwaukee, outside of Giannis, is a very strong three-point shooting team, and the Nets knew going into that game that if they had a chance of winning, they really got to lock down the Bucks outside the perimeter, and that's what they did. They held them to, I think, 27.8% from the field yesterday from deep, and um, and that's what they could do. So, at the same time, listen, like I said before, there's going to be a void at the center spot. You have DeAndre joining Reggie Perry, but I'm not going to, like, I can tell you guys right now, the Mets are going to get someone to fill, to complement that uh, with their three roster spots remaining. It's probably going to come in the buyout market, or do they make a trade? It's going to be interesting to see what they do, but defensively, their, their potential being def- the ability being defensively, obviously, you know, it's not going to touch their their potential on the offensive end. This team is offensively powered. Um, think about it. You got outside of three stars, which a lot of people, I know a lot of people like to focus on the three stars, but the Nets have very solid role players. Oh, Joe Harris is going to get a lot of open shots. Yeah, oh, my God. Exactly. <laughs> Joe, Joe, Harris, Joe Harris is the top three-point shooting in the league right now and has done so the past four years. You're going to have to leave him. You're going to – you're going to have to leave a, 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 one of the best three-point shooters in the league open because you have three guys that demand a double team. <laughs> exactly. So you put, so you're telling me, like, in crunch time, you got Harden, Irving, Durant, Harris, and then put, if you want to go small ball five, you incorporate Jeff Green, who's still a solid three-point shooter. He literally went perfect in three-quarters of play yesterday, going four from four from three before missing two. Like, that's that, that offense speaks for itself. Let alone, you got guys on the bench such as Landry Shamit, Cemetery Luau Cabrero, who's been who proved himself the late Nets' latest success story, coming from the G League and proving his name. And then, like I said, you guys got to remember too. Obviously, the 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 future of Spencer Dinwiddie is unknown. 
uh, especially with his injury. Does he return? Do, do the Nets do something with him? I was surprised that the Nets didn't flip him in a trade for the Harden. I'm surprised he wasn't included in it. You could say some of it may have been due to his injury, whatever the case is, but Spencer Dinwiddie's up. Not even a question. The most underappreciated net in history. It's 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 obvious. If you know Nets basketball, you know that Spencer Dinwiddie is one of the most underappreciated Nets because he, his play goes so under the rug, and especially with three superstars. If he was on that court right now with three superstars, he would be leading the second unit. And trust me, that team would be a very hard. They, they would give you such a pain to guard offensively, let alone what they could do right now. So. The offensive, the offensive potential is obviously going to be through the roof. It could be one of the best offensive teams we've ever seen. And But on the defensive end, it all comes down to can the Nets follow their game plan defensively. You know, Nash has incorporated a brand-new defensive scheme since the start of training camp and has listed it as his number one priority since literally we got to talk to him in training camp. So... As long as the Nets can follow their, their their defensive principles, they're not gonna they're not gonna aim towards being one of those teams like I guess you could say like the Portland Trailblazers or others that primarily look to outscore the other team to win a ball game. Um, I think they're just gonna be just fine. So it's gonna be very exciting to see moving forward. How did when you mentioned Nash changing the defensive scheme? What are some of the differences between Nash and, and like last year how the defense was run? Uh, well, last last year it was. Well, yeah, I guess you could weigh it heavily. Because last year was a little, it's it's a lot to digest because you had Kenny and then you had Vaughn take over and then you had the bubble play, right? So Vaughn did a lot of switching, a lot of zones, and a lot of everything there. And the thing with Nash is that a lot of people don't really absorb is the Nets have formed such an elite coaching staff around Steve Nash that people always forget about. You got Mike D'Antoni, who's mostly the offensive coordinator for this team. Well, you got Jack Vaughn and Mecca Udoka, who are primarily on the defensive end. So they, those are a lot of voices contributing on many floor, on many ends of the floor, whether it's offensively, defensively, whatever the case is. So with Nash this year around, he, he, he wants his mostly to be – he wants his team to play hard. He wants his team – to really lock down. But, you know, with defense, it's going to be a growing thing. Defense is not going to be one of those things you follow the same plan throughout the whole year. You know, you're going to adjust accordingly to your team, obviously, the team that you're facing. And you're going to try out a lot of of different things. Nash Nash has experimented galore throughout the first, what is it, 12 games, 13 games of the season right now. He's, He's done, I think, seven lineups, seven different starting lineups in 11 games. Um, he's like before the trade, we had Karis LeVert coming off the bench a lot more. He was starting some. We had Joe Harris pop off the bench. We had DeAndre Jordan pop off the bench. So the Nets are still trying to find their footing and see what rotation fits best to meet their ultimate potential. So it's going to, like I've said, it's going to be one of those things where the Nets and mostly all teams across the league, because a lot of people forget that this, the NBA teams did not have a lot of training camp. They had a 10 day training camp and that I, at least I could speak on the Nets' point of view, the Nets have around from one to two practices a week. So they learn a lot of their stuff in games. That's how they incorporate a lot of their knowledge and meshing. So it's going to be one of those situations where with the lack of preparation, it's going to be an ongoing adapt- adaptation and collective kind of being bought in collectively from their players to really make them succeed. Now I want to talk about Kevin Durant. So... He has a catastrophic injury. Two years ago, uh, there was a lot of talk like, how would he come back? And Kevin Durant, I'm just looking this up. So he's given you 30 a night, 
seven rebounds, about six assists, 54% shooting from the field, 48% from three. I think he's shooting 87% from the line. So Katie's just 100 percent now, right? Like, <laughs> well, yeah, that that that's what it, it, all the facts prove it. You know, he's 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 showed back, and the thing is too, he had he had a big layoff. You know, he had 550 something days off, and he's he's proved to be himself. You know, so it's good to see him back. But Nash and the Nets, they're not gonna, they're not. They, he just he missed the first back to back. He sat out the second half of the game, but the one against the the back to back where they played, I believe it was the Grizzlies and the Knicks. Um, he played both legs in the back-to-back. He obviously put up his performances and stuff, and he's averaging the second most points per game in the league, only behind Bradley Beal right now. So you could say, obviously, KD's back. He's playing very, very well. And, you know, it's the thing is, the KD's team, the Nets are KD's team. There's no secret behind it. Obviously, you know, Kyrie Irving has the ties, like I mentioned before, playing for the hometown team. Obviously, he was a big reason why the Nets debuted their throwback court and their throwback jerseys, reviving those New Jersey roots and stuff. But this is Kevin Durant's team, and he's the main star of this group. He's obviously, his offensive firepower speaks for itself. He's, if not the greatest scorer the league has ever seen. And he's he's blazing a trail that, you know, throughout the years, you look at the Achilles injuries from Chauncey Billups, Elgin Baylor, um, Dominique Wilkins, Mario Chalmers, Lou Williams, whoever. You can name 500 players or whatever the case of Torrey the Achilles. There's not many players that, let alone, got back into a starting lineup from recovering from an injury. Obviously, you know, you got to take into consideration that like, Katie had a very extensive layoff, and he sat out a whole season through uh, the following season after the Achilles injury to get back and get back into shape. But Nash is still going to take good care of him. Nash is one of those coaches that protects their players from injuries. You can even see him Karis LeVert when he was on the team. Karis LeVert... Obviously, he had that very devastating ankle injury um, dislocation. And throughout the season, Nash didn't want to play in too high of minutes. He wanted to protect him. He wanted to make sure they got the best out of him and really uh, kind of save that energy and kind of lift off a high load. And that's what, that's what the, the good thing, too, the, the, I guess you could say the diamond in the rough is here with the big three, right? Kevin Durant won't have to pull so much weight. Now that James Harden and Kyrie Irving are here, you know, especially James Harden. Now he's here. James Harden has shown that he could really score the ball at a high clip, so he could turn on whenever he wants. And Kyrie Irving's no stranger to fifty point, forty point games. So it all comes together. It's a perfect recipe for Kevin Durant to kind of get his footing back. No, nope, not that much pressure to, to really put on a big load and carry the team on his back. But he's tri- he's blazing a trail that not many have accomplished so far in the league history. So lastly, I want to ask you this. Obviously, I guess the end game here is what a lot of fans are wondering. Lakers, Nets, you have Coast versus Coast. You have LeBron versus KD. Do you think that's where we're headed so far? Uh, for what, for our finals? Yes, yes. Well, I, I had the Lakers winning the whole thing before the season started, and um, I think that's where it's going to be there going now. I don't think anyone really in the West can beat LeBron and the Lakers in a seven-game series. And with the Nets, you know, once, like I've said before, like I said, you know, that's this team's not even meshed yet. James Harden had his first official practice today, you know? So it's it's one of those situations where uh, once the team all gets together, they're going to, they're obviously in Eastern Conference Paradise right now. They just defeated the Milwaukee Bucks without Tyree Irving. Um, so I, I, that, that would be my favorite as well, the Lakers Nets. And um, the thing is with the, uh, with the Lakers Nets matchup, a lot of people got to remember is Anthony Davis can really take advantage in the paint. Like I've talked about already, it's going to obviously the Nets are going to be filling some pieces and adding players like a big man 
into the DeAndre Jordan, Nick Claxton, Reggie Perry rotation when it comes to the center spot. But it's going to also come down to, okay, what team can really balance the offensive firepower? You know, LeBron. You got LeBron AD, and then you got Harden, Durant, and Irving. You know, it's, it's going to be a battle of stars and see how it comes out. But looking ahead, I would, I would say that is, my, that is my finals prediction as well, now that both teams have solidified their stars, I guess. But, um, but it's going to be interesting to see how it all turns out. Chris, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast, man. I appreciate it. Of course. Anytime, my man. Appreciate you having me on. And coming next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk, we're going to have Silas Garrison on the show to talk some NFL. And we're going to get into Silas's NBA guarantees. Coming up next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Barbershop Sports Talk, and we have my brother, Silas Garrison. How you doing, Silas? I'm good, blessed and highly favored. Let's get into it. So, <laughs> like I said, I was, we're going to have Silas on, and we're going to delve into a little bit of NFL and some of Silas's NBA predictions. But before that, there was kind of a big story that was going on, for those of you who don't know. The New York Mets general manager was fired for sending uh, explicit picks to a female reporter uh and silas has some uh interesting commentary on it and i'm going to give silas the floor it's a little bit different from maybe what you've heard on other platforms so i'm going to give silas the floor to speak his mind on the situation yeah so um number one just in the interest of full transparency and, and daryl can vouch for me uh as well um it, it, that it wasn't just uh you know a series of pictures but it was also uh text messages as well Right. Yes. Um, and contrary to popular belief, and some of the things that we've heard on uh, numerous other platforms, those of us who love sports, who have seen, uh, you know, this this uh, uh, this story come out today, all I want you to do is hear me out. That's all I'm asking for. Excuse me. <clears throat> all I want you to do is hear me out. Now, the story that I heard is that. This lady, who, by the way, is from another country, but who understands English, uh, was in journalism, working with the Cubs at the time, the same time the manager was working. And they had ended up uh, talking, communicating, and they ended up getting each other's uh, phone numbers. They did not end up meeting, but they ended up getting each other's phone They were texting back, and the text messages were read on ESPN. You can go look this up. The lady, whoever her name, you know, they, they keep it as, uh, you know, an alias because uh, they don't want to reveal her identity, which I understand. Um, but in essence, she had sent, uh, you know, like, hellos, hi's, how are yous to uh, this general manager. And, the, uh, you know, this guy had sent him back. Okay, cool, no problem. He had became flirtatious saying, you know, hey, we should hang out. And she actually was the first person to bring up, hey, we should meet. You know, they were both they were both for that. So that wasn't the problem. 
problem is when he started going a little too hard on trying to meet, on trying to talk. He was constantly texting. And like for females out there, you guys know this. You probably have guys who do that all the time. They text way too much. Like, and, and a lot of times that can be a turnoff, right? Because you're trying so hard. So if that's what happened to this young lady, then I completely understand. I don't think that's a reason, you know, for, for us to see this entire text message come to the forefront or to see, uh, you know, these series of text messages to the forefront, but I completely understand how that could make her uncomfortable. But here's the rest of the story. So, <clears throat> um, there was uh, a time when he had, you know, the, the manager, excuse me, um, had sent a picture of his pants and it had, a, a, you know, a bulge in his pants essentially uh, from, you know, a, a, you know, his penis being erected or whatever the case is. And he put in the text message, do you like, and she said yes, LOL, right? Now, we're going to be completely honest on this platform. Anybody who sees that and any girl who says a smiley face, a tongue emoji, any of that, you think that that is a green light to pursue and to continue. He had did this on two different occasions. Two different occasions. And she had said that she did, in fact, like what he had said. So you clearly knew what he was doing because you actually had to confirm what he was doing in order to say that you liked it or did not like it. But then... After a while, you decided that you didn't want to talk to him. How do I know that? Because you ghosted him. You stopped talking to him altogether. Now, she ghosted him. This is what this lady did. I believe it. As I'm looking at the report right now, she ghosted him after the the bulge was sent. That was when she started uh, to just not respond. And as I'm looking this up right now, it looks like I'm seeing the bulge. uh, It's exited out on ESPN's. And then it says, am I annoying you? Frowny face, frowny face. Why won't you answer me, beautiful? Right. Okay. So, if I, if I and again, we're going to be completely honest. Now, if I were to send a picture like that, and the first time you said that you liked it, and we were texting, and then I sent it again, and then you didn't text me or anything, I would be worried because I'd be like, I just put myself out there. So now I put myself out there and you're not responding and you're not saying you don't like it, you're not saying, and here's the problem. You already, if you didn't like it, you already gave me a false level of security because you said you liked it the first time. And I had no reason to think you would not like it the second time. So now I'm confused where we actually stand. So yes, now I'm going to continue to text you because I'm scared because I don't know what's next. I just, I do. I don't know if you're going to put this on YouTube. I don't know if you're trying to play me. I keep on. I want to meet you, and you're, you know, not. And you said you wanted to meet me too, but now you're playing games. You're like, uh, oh, I don't know if we should meet this, that, and the third. Actually, she never even said that. She said, hey, we should be, and they, and she never said anything about not meeting or anything of the sort. So he started feeling uncomfortable, right? I'm putting myself out there sexually, and you're not answering me. So now, what's going to happen to these pictures that I'm sending? What's going to happen to these text messages? I'm sure that's what he was thinking. That's what I would be thinking in that moment if we were being sexually explicit um, through uh, text messages and then automatically uh, you just stop texting me. I would be scared too. I'm not saying that excludes him from anything. I'm saying I understand. And so far with this story, I don't see a reason why he would then lose his job. Well, also, now the report says... No, 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 no. Wait, 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 Dale, just really quick, really quick, because I'm almost done. The, the problem is when that man... Now, guys, just, just hear me out on this. The problem that I saw where he 
took it too far is not the text messages because he didn't know. He was like, why aren't you texting me? I understand that. Who the heck would, what, what, what person would just want to be ghosted like that and not know why they got ghosted with no explanation? To this day, there's no explanation why she just stopped talking to him altogether. There's no explanation for it whatsoever. But when he took off all of his clothes and sent her a picture of an erected penis while he was naked in his bed, yes, I think that that was too far. Absolutely. Completely. It's important to remember, he thought he was only sending that to her. He never thought that that was going to get leaked out, anything of the sort. And, by the way, it's important to remember that once she said, that was the only time she responded back to him, saying, okay, stop doing this. You're annoying me. Essentially, you're making me uncomfortable. And then what did he do? Oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to offend you. This, that, and the third. I apologize. Please forgive me. I'll never text you again. And then he didn't. So clearly... I believe that if she had told him after the first bulge, hey, this is unacceptable, it's inappropriate, we are not going to do this, he would have been like, okay, cool, I'm sorry, we got no problems, let's move on. But when you give him a false level of security, and then you don't use your words to, or, or you, or rather use your verbiage to say, this is unacceptable, then you get a false level of security thinking that this is okay, when it clearly wasn't to so, in other words, what I'm saying is, this is what happened. This is why this is why communication is very important. No, I do not believe that he should have lost his job because I do not believe uh, that this woman came off as credible in this case. And this is not to bash women in any sense whatsoever. This is not to uh, diminish uh, the, the feelings of marginalized communities, especially uh, women. And, and everybody knows how I feel about uh, women of color. This is not that, but I'm saying in this specific issue, if I'm looking at it in a vacuum, no, I do not believe I have seen anything up until this point that would uh, that that would show me why this man then should lose his job. But so I, here's what I will say: uh, you make. I, I will say this: the part where you know I think where most people are going to look at this is obviously the erect picture of the erect penis is, is too far. Probably shouldn't have sent the bulge and the, the 60 unanswered, unanswered text messages. That's arguably harassment. Now, we can argue, you know, should she have blocked him? I, I think uh, personally for me in my life, I don't block people, to be perfectly honest with you. <laughs> I usually respond. Maybe that's something I shouldn't do, but I usually don't block people. But, uh, you know, she's from another country. I don't know. Obviously, in America, there's more of a culture of, you know, if, if somebody annoys you, you block. I, I, I don't know why, you know. Obviously, she wasn't responding. I think there's always something too. like sometimes people will tell you where they stand without telling you a single thing. Silas, if somebody if you walk and you say hello to somebody, and they don't respond to you. How do you think they feel about you? <laughs> like, <laughs> how do you think they feel about you? Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, I, I think there's ways for you to understand where somebody stands with you. These are social cues uh, that I think mo most of us understand particularly at his age right at our age i think we understand so i guess what like i said what i'm trying to say is the 60 straight messages where she's not responding you just need to stop well I, like to me that's where it needs to end silas all right let me be very clear <clears throat> do i think that he was um let's say annoying her or being aggravating after sending 60 text messages that were you know, unanswered, absolutely. I'd say that's psychotic. That's also psychotic. <laughs> I don't, we'll see, but that's the thing. I don't call that psychotic, but let me explain. If I were to talk to a girl right now, to everybody out there, just reason with me, just reason. If I'm talking to a girl 
is she sends me a picture of her cleavage, right? And let's be adults. We, we, you know, come on. But we've all had experiences. If a girl sends me a picture of her cleavage or, or her bra strap, not even her bra strap, just her cleavage, and she asks me, do you like this? What a smiley face. And I say yes. She would think that's a reason to press forward. And we're still having conversations. But the minute she does it again, when I had already said that I liked it, and then I just ghost her and then never talk to her again, she would start pressing too because she would be, number one, confused, number two, upset, number three, she would be scared because she doesn't know what I'm going to do with those pictures. So yes, I think, the re- I don't really think it's because he was being psychotic, I think it's because he was pressing. I think he was pressing because he knows that he's in a high position and he was really scared of what might happen if those went out. He's famous. Yeah, and, and also... And I just will say this, generalize this, and uh, just say this in parody. She's anonymous, right? She did not want her name being put out there because she didn't, the reaction, they wouldn't even, she said home country, so that, that's, she, she wasn't from America. Uh, so that kind of lets you know there. So, so I just wanted to state that as well. The, but, here's the, but here's the thing, Daryl, here's the thing. If she didn't understand what he was doing, then that's one thing. But he asked, for your verbiage, do you like what I'm showing you in my pants? And she said yes. I think I think that's about as telling as you can be. In other words, if we were in a court of law, do you think this would hold up? No, because it was completely consensual. The only time when it wasn't consensual is when he is when he took it over the line when he set a complete you know make a picture of himself with an erect penis. Okay, yeah, well that's taking it too far. Yeah, that's going over the line. Absolutely, but but look what happened. You got a text message out of her saying, hey, look, this is unacceptable. Stop texting me completely. Well, then why didn't you just block him if you were that angry? Because when you were blocked him after, you said that the 60 text messages bothered you, right, Daryl? Yes. Okay, that would bother me too. So if a girl texted me 60 times, first of all, I would have told her that I wasn't, that I was uninterested for, for full transparency. That's one. But then number two, if she had kept on texting me, I would have blocked her, like most people do when they get annoyed with somebody. Not only did you not block him, you gave him a false level of security, and then he ends up sending you a, 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 a you know, a, a, a picture of an erected penis, and then that's when you're like, okay, now you took it over the line. And it's important to remember, this story happened while he was with the Cubs. He is now the general man. He was now the former general manager of the Mets. He was the general manager of the Mets at one point before he got fired because of the story. So this happened a while ago. This was when she was in journalism. And now, and the reason that she said this, the reason why I didn't bring this up is because I was in fear that if I had brought this up, it would affect my career, so I decided to stay silent. But it's funny how when you are no longer doing journalism and you're in another career, but now he is at the height of his career for the Mets, and he's the general manager of a, of, of, of a, of a baseball team, and he's making millions of dollars, now you decide. Now you decide to lead the story. And, and I do. When you no longer have a stake in the fight. And I do want to say. That is so shady. This is the world we live in now. I think we can both agree for that, for, for better or for worse, right? There's the whole Me Too movement. There's a lot of things with people who have not historically had voices. And I don't want to get too much into this, right? Because it's a sports podcast. Yeah, that, that, that they're now have voices. Movement is about, this isn't what the Me Too movement no, is I, about. I, this I, seems like you were playing them. I, 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 this seems like you were playing I, them. I agree, but I'm just I'm just saying, just so everybody out there knows full transparency. If you want to be in positions of notoriety, stature, let's say TV, media, uh, 
a lot of stuff that maybe you did or it was consensual or it was immaturity. Back in the day, it's coming back to burn a lot of people. This is not the only story. Uh, there was, there's just a lot of stuff out there, right? You can look at some stuff, Josh Allen's old tweets, and it's a different cool situation there, or Dante DiVincenzo, but I'm just saying, watch what you do, because it can always affect you in the future. You know, I, I know you want to move on from this, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask as your friend that we stay on this, because I, I want everybody to know where I'm coming from on this, and I think that this is a very important topic. The young lady, had said originally that she liked what she saw. That would give the reason or give a, a, a fair assumption that that type of behavior is acceptable. So you're saying watch what you do and watch the things you say. But he has already done that, which is why he's asking for clarification. Do you like this? Do you think he would send another one if she was like, no, I hate it? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's why I'm saying transparency is so important. But like, we're talking to like, I, I, Okay, how about this? Daryl, do you think this falls short of sexual harassment? I think it falls short of sexual harassment. Oh, uh, I mean, I'm not in legal, I'm not in the legal space, so I don't feel necessarily, I'd say, I think you'd argue, yeah. I, I mean, I, I would say it's harassment. I think at the bare minimum you could say it's harassment. I think if if, if you keep texting somebody 60 times and you just keep doing it, I think that's harassment. At a point that that's just harassment. Well, whether you want to put the sexual in front of it or not, I think when, once at the end you you, you, you you top it off with a dick pic, yeah, that's probably sexual harassment. But 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 I but I mean even before that, it's still harassment to me. I I, I mean okay. if you blowing up somebody okay. like that, that just doesn't follow to me normal human behavior. Okay, all right. Let me let me be as clear as I can be. <clears throat> Did he take it over the line with sixty text messages? I just think that's annoying. Like I think you're doing the most. Stop doing that. That's stupid. That's see, stupid. I think that's Obviously harassment. I, I can see how a girl would think that's harassment. And I'm not a girl. Uh, any females? Uh, I don't know how females would feel about it. Like, I, I just feel like to girls. I mean, I, it's as a, a, as a guy, if a girl texted me, uh, texted me 60 times, I would feel like I was being harassed too. I got it. But here's the difference between me and her. You know what I would do? I would block him. Block him. He's clearly bothering you. But here's the part where I don't understand. If she, if he's wrong for harassing you, you're absolutely wrong for giving him a false sense that that type of behavior was okay. Because you should have never said that you liked when he was doing what he was doing, when he was sending you pictures of his private parts. You should have vetoed that from the beginning, and you didn't. And if you didn't like it because we all change our mind, things can happen when you change your mind. Then say you don't like it. There's nothing hard about that. There's nothing hard about that at all. And I can't and I can't go off of what she's saying when she was like, oh, well, if I would have said that, what if I would have lost my job because I was working for the cops? Honey, that makes no sense. Because when he sent you the picture of his penis and it, and it was erected and he was naked, you then told him to stop. So clearly you knew how to say the word no. <laughs> you know, look, look, if somebody sends me text messages 60 times, of course I'm going to feel annoyed. I'm just going to block you, though. And I think that if she was, if she would have been true, so that's why I don't believe the man deserves to lose his, I don't believe the man deserves to lose his job. You don't deserve to lose your job because you texted the girl 60 times. How many times have we been, you know, in love and like somebody had broken up with us and we were, you know, I'm sure there's people out there where you had been broken up with and then, you know, you were begging to get the person back and you were probably doing things that you probably look back on and you're like, man, that was kind of weird that I did that. But in the moment, you know what I mean? You're hurt. You're trying to get the love of your life back. Now, this falls very short of getting the love of your life back. <laughs> 
know, this definitely falls very short of that. But if I'm, if I'm the, you know, if I'm the general manager, assistant general manager, if I'm working for the Cubs and I'm making a great living, I'm making so much money and I'm doing well and I just want to win a World Series, everything else. And all of these things are happening positive for me. And then some girl comes across my timeline that I start talking to and I send her pictures of my private parts and she says she likes it and then all of a sudden never talks to me again. Yes, I would be worried because I would be worried about where those text messages are going and I'd be worried about where are my private parts going from the, from the messages and the photos that I sent you. So yes, I would be freaking out too. Okay, so I, I don't know. I don't. I don't know how you go from freaking out to sending a naked picture with an erected penis. <laughs> you know, I think that's kind of taken it overboard. But at least after that, you recognized, and she told you that no, this is unacceptable, and I don't want to talk to you anymore. I just don't understand why she didn't say that in the beginning. So because of that, I have to question her credibility. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a break because uh, we kind of went over a little bit with that. We're probably not going to get a chance to talk some NFL because I kind of do want to keep the podcast a little bit shorter. But we will get into Silas's NBA predictions kind of next after the break on Barbershop Sports Talk. Oh, we're back with Barbershop Sports Talk, and we still have Silas Garrison with us. So, Silas, I gave you a little bit of a homework assignment. Uh, We talk a lot of NBA on the air, off the air. You are going to give me some predictions that you think will happen, and then we can call you on it. We can tell you where you were right, where you were wrong, as the season concludes. So, give me these predictions, Silas. What do you have at number one? Well, first of all, tell me, how many predictions do you have? All right, so I got a couple. So, you, so let me kind of just rip it down, right? Like, let me kind of just, uh, let's say, how about I just run through the list? Is that fair? Uh, I mean, how many do you have first? How, how many do you have? Uh, no, probably like, probably like three or four. Just three or four. Okay. We can go each by by one, by case by case. Let's go by one case by case. Case by case? Okay. So, uh, number one, let's just start with the, with the biggest one. The ones to get to the finals. So, that is going to be the Lakers and the Nets. And I have that going to a game six, and I have the Lakers winning. And you have it going to a game six. With... I have it going to a game six, and I have the Lakers winning. I have LeBron James as uh, the MVP again. Okay, so we can so we can put that so we can put that to bed right now. The the Los Angeles Lakers are going to win. Here is who I have in the conference finals. I have the the. the uh, the Brooklyn Nets, and I have uh, the Milwaukee Bucks, and I have that going to a game. Uh, where is it here? I have that going to a game five. Oh, so you think the Nets are going to beat them in five? They're going to beat. They are going to beat them in five. I have the Lakers facing the Clippers. And I have that series going seven games with, with the Lakers winning on a walk-off. I have that going right down to the wire this time. It's not going to be like last year. They're playing too good. Tyron Lue has that, has that team playing very good this year. 
I then have LeBron James <clears throat> powering past the Brooklyn Nets to get the goal ahead in a game six. But I would not be surprised at all if it went to a game seven. And I have LeBron James taking home not only his fifth ring, but I also have him taking home his MVP trophy from the finals. Okay, and is that your first prediction? That's your first? Yes. Okay. What's your second prediction? Now I'm going to give you some. So, there's Wiseman. I'm wrong about that. I was just about to say, and if I'm wrong, the only person that will be in competition is Wiseman, which I will not say that that's fair because Wiseman was forced into a starting role, so he was able to get more playing time than Lamelo Ball. That's the only reason why I will say that. Lamelo Ball is doing all of this coming off the bench. I would agree, but we can also say this: if we're talking about as the better overall player, Wiseman's world's better than Lamelo on defense. I still do not think that's fair because I think Lamelo can do multiple different things that then Wiseman can, and Wiseman is also playing with Steph Curry, and Lamelo Ball is playing with literally the worst GM of all time, a squeegee in a mop bucket, and a guy named Gordon Hayward. Who's averaging 20... Stop it, stop it. Disrespectful and don't be sacrilegious. The Warriors and Lamelo Ball and the Hornets should not be in the same comparison. They should not be in the same discussion. They don't have a two-time MVP when unanimous. They don't have a Draymond Green. Absolutely not. They don't even have a Kelly Green. Lamelo's been a very good six-man. He, he's averaging, I think, like 11-7-6, something like that. He's doing very good. And right now, I would say that he, I would say right now he is the rookie of the year. In my opinion, if you look at the numbers, based off of what he's playing with, I would give him the rookie of the year. So I have so I have Lamelo winning rookie of the rookie of the year, and if I'm wrong, it will go to Weisman. And Minnesota's pick for George from Georgia, the kid from Georgia, the kid from Georgia. His name is escaping me at the moment. Daryl, if we don't remember his name, then he will not win rookie of the year. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. That's That's the the number one, the number one pick, the, the number one pick in the draft. No one cares. No one cares. No one cares. We're, we're, Anthony Bennett was, an, was the number one pick. How'd that work out? Anthony Edwards. Why did I forget? Anthony Edwards. Anthony Edwards is not going to be in the league in four years. Silas. That, that. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> what? I'm kidding. It's a podcast. It's a podcast. I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm joking. That's a joke. Uh, I was gonna say he's averaging like sixteen a game. What you mean? <laughs> Silas, if sixteen if sixteen a game gets you kicked out the league, then a lot of dudes can't play. Silas, Conwell Pope is gonna be at the league. Conwell Pope is still in the league. What you mean? I was just playing. I was just joking. I was just joking. So my third. So then my third. And just so folks know, KD is right now averaging 37, 6, 54% shooting from the field, 48% shooting from three, and 87% from free throw. KD's back, folks. If, in fact, an injury occurs. If, in fact, an injury occurs. <clears throat> I would not be surprised if LeBron James went home with the MVP as well. So, right now, you got LeBron, excuse me, you have Kevin Durant, one, right? Uh, LeBron is two. Who would be your third guy? Because for the MVP voting, there's going to be three finalists. So, who would be your third guy? 
Nikolai Jokic. I'm talking about the Joker. The Joker right now is coming close to averaging a triple double. Um, here's 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 my caveat to this whole thing. <clears throat> if Kevin Durant, um, if Kevin Durant's numbers go down because of Kyrie Irving coming back into the fold, that and and you know essentially because he has that much help then I have it going to LeBron. But if you pin me down right now, who did you say was going to win MVP? I would say it would be Kevin Durant. I would say Kevin Durant would get it. He's in the East, and he has the one seed, and it's, it's, it's the easier conference, so I think he is going to get it this year. And I think the moment of truth is going to come down to LeBron James and Kevin Durant in the finals, which is exactly what we want. Barring injury, regardless of who wins the MVP, we're going to get what we want. It's going to be LeBron James versus Kevin Durant in the playoffs. So those were your three MVPs. And by the way, Kevin Durant, when when you say, isn't it crazy that you're predicting him to be MVP and, like, he's at this level again? Like, he's back to being the second best player in the NBA. I, I mean, you could argue he's number one. I'm not saying he is, but he, he, he he's up there with LeBron. He can, I think he can see LeBron. Kevin Durant is the best player in, in the league right now. Oh, okay. So you agree with me. Kevin Durant, like, Kevin Durant is, oh my God. Kevin he's, Durant is the best, Kevin Durant is, by, is, is the best player in basketball right now. So you think he's better than AD and LeBron? Because we know we know what LeBron represents. <laughs> Kevin Durant is a better player right now at this current moment than LeBron James is. Absolutely, I said I, I've been telling you guys this for a long time. When I I call it down the line, contrary to popular belief, Kevin Durant is averaging thirty <laughs> on 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 how what on how many shots? Like twenty. 25 shots. 54% shooting from the field, 48% from three. I mean, come on. I mean, that's ridiculous. And, and while, but but here's what's ridiculous for LeBron. The fact that LeBron is averaging what? Like 24, 8, 7? And he's only, and he's averaging like the fewest minutes in his career? (laughs) Like, and, and he has his team as the one seed in the West? I mean, I don't know. Who, do, do you pass up on LeBron? I mean, and here's the thing. Do I think LeBron is the better player? Overall, yes. But who is the best player in the league right now at this very moment? It's Kevin Durant. It's Kevin Durant. Okay. Uh, what's your next prediction? vehemently disagreed on that. Steph is playing at a very high level. We also (laughs) vehemently disagreed about the James Harden situation. I was correct. So I do have uh, the Warriors uh, missing the playoffs. Um, We'll see if that comes to fruition. Yep, those are my picks. Why do you have the Warriors missing the playoffs, Silas?
one game over 500, that is very difficult to come back and to keep that same level of pace. Here's, here's the thing. Steph Curry has a history of injuries. If Steph Curry gets injured for a week, two weeks, three weeks, he's in the West. This isn't the East. He's going to be out of playoff contention. It's that simple. He does not have another player who can keep the scoring load while he's in, while he's out in his absence. And there has never been a time where Steph Curry even came close to playing all 82 games since he's been, you know, the Steph Curry that we know him to be. So because of that, I know there's going to come a time where he's going to sit out. And when they sit out, they will struggle deeply. Because you've got to figure, at best, they're going to be like an AC, ninth, seventh seed or sixth seed. <clears throat> and you know this, Daryl. The difference between the sixth seed and eighth seed is like a game, right? So if Steph Curry gets hurt, he can go from the sixth seed to the eighth seed to the twelfth seed in the same week. <laughs> you know what I mean? So in order for Steph Curry to get his team to the playoffs, he will have to play every night at the same level. I do not see that happening at all. Okay, folks. So those are Silas's NBA predictions. We will revisit these predictions at the end of the year. Uh, Silas, thank you for coming on the show, man. I appreciate it. All right. All right. Thank you for having me. And once again, I want to thank Silas Garrison for coming on the show, and I want to thank all of you for tuning into this episode, the 251st episode of Barrage Lab Sports Talk.